Take your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your New Testament. Of course, Mark is the second book, Mark chapter 5 this morning. Mark chapter 5, with God's help, I'd like to preach a message, life among the tombstones, life among the tombstones. Let me encourage you, while you're finding your place this morning, would you pray for the east coast of Canada? They got hit pretty bad with a hurricane, is it Hurricane Fiona? Hurricane Fiona, I believe is the name, and I I was hearing a little bit this morning, uh, emails from pastors out there, and, and Newfoundland did very well, but Nova Scotia got hit very hard especially the Cape Breton area. Apparently there's a town there that, that many of the houses washed out to sea and uh, even a, a man washed out to sea and he's lost today. And so let, let's pray for the devastation out there. I heard from one pastor uh, in Nova Scotia, just on an email list, not personally, and um, he was saying that their town is completely without power and likely will be till after Tuesday is the initial report, but their church has power. So he says, everybody in town is coming to church this morning. And so praise the Lord. You know, only the Lord can do that. Take like, something like that and, and turn it around. And so what, well, think about this. What an opportunity for that church to minister to people today. And uh, they said, we're trying to buy water and get it there for people and just things like that. And so be in prayer for them as they uh, minister in that place. But many towns across our nation are hurting today and they need our prayers. Life among the tombstones. I'm going to be honest, I, I was kind of directed to this passage earlier this week on Tuesday, and I was reading it, and I was praying over it, and, and the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart. There's a message there. There's something that I had never considered before. And I just knew that, but I couldn't find what it was. Of course, it's the story of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes in the land of the Gadarenes, And there a man met him out of the tombstones, and we'll talk about him in a moment, read about his life a little bit. But we just have a snapshot, just a short occurrence of of this man's life. We don't even know how old he was. And and I just struggled to find what was it I was missing. We we all know the story. Any one of you could sit down with the Bible and outline the passage, and you could share the, the message just as well as anybody else in the room. I'm sure of it. We've heard it many times and heard it preached many times. But the Lord just kept pricking my heart. And it wasn't until last night when I laid down for bed that the Lord kind of gave me that thought. The thing that I perhaps had been missing, the thing that I had overlooked. I, I want to share that with you. And perhaps, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm probably behind all of you in this. You probably have already thought about that. Maybe you've wondered these things in your heart and your mind, and, and I'm just kind of a little bit late to the party, but nonetheless, let's have a look at the Word of God today and see what it has for us. Mark chapter 5, the Bible says, and they came under the, over under the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. That's where he lived. That was his dwelling place. He had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him. No, not with chains. 
because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? Even the demons know who Jesus is. And by the way, the demons, they, they know and they believe and they tremble, but they're lost. Friend, if you don't know Jesus personally, if you do not have a life-changing, saving faith, you are lost just like the demons of hell. But notice what it says. They, they ran to him and they worshipped him. Verse 7, and he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment not. Imagine that, a demon-possessed man turning to God the Father and begging God to have Jesus removed from him. Boy, Jesus had a lot of power, didn't he? A lot of influence. And the Bible says in verse 8, For he saith unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. By the way, this herd of swine would have been owned by Gentiles. To the Jew, the swine were an unclean animal. They would have nothing to do with them. They were shepherds. But for these that were feeding the swine would have been Gentiles. Verse 12. And all the devils of Sodom saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, when Jesus gave them leave, he simply said, Go. Go. I'm reminded that there's a time that the disciples came upon a demon-possessed one. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to them, this type cometh not forth without prayer and fasting. And yet Jesus Christ says to this man who was filled with demons, so many that they were called legion, he just simply said, go. And he gave them leave. And they departed and they entered into the swine in verse 13 and, her, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it to the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, as we look at this familiar passage, Lord, to glean from it afresh and anew and to see those things that perhaps we've missed in the past. But more importantly, Lord, would you impress upon us with your Holy Spirit today that very thing you either want to teach us or remind us of. Lord, I surrender to you. I thank you for the time that we have sang your praises and worshiped you today. Lord, it has been a blessing and an encouragement, Lord, and I hope and pray that you are pleased. But I pray that as we turn our hearts and minds to the word of God, 
Lord, that the Spirit of God would find fertile ground. Lord, that he'd be able to work these things into our hearts and help us today, we pray. I surrender to you. I ask for your help. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 2, we see that the Bible identifies this as an unclean spirit. We know that just from that title, it is not from the Spirit of God. You know, the Apostle Paul reminds us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And this demon-possessed man had anything but liberty, did he? He had confined himself to the tombs. The Bible says that was his dwelling place. He would spend the nights in the mountains on this, I believe, a mountainside where this cemetery existed as they would put people in crypts on the side of the hills. And the Bible says he would cry and wail and the people could hear him howling throughout the night like a wolf at the moon. This was an unclean spirit that afflicted him. That people had tried to bind him up and I, I believe probably to try to stop him from hurting himself. They were trying to help this man somehow come to a place of sanity. Maybe even in when they had bound him with chains, they had brought their best counselors. They brought religious men to him and perhaps they were trying to impart something to him that would help him along the way. But nothing helped. The Bible says that this extraordinary strength that he had from these spirits caused him to break the chains and fetters. And he continued to walk free. These demons, or legion as they would identify themselves, came from Satan himself. The word Satan in the Bible means adversary. It means anything that is opposed from God, and they were adversarial to the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice that perhaps many would pass that way along that seashore and going from town to town along the sea. And, and, And as they passed by, they would hear the cries of this man. But the Bible says when Jesus came, he came out unto him. He confronted Jesus. What have I to do with thee, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that ye torment me not. In fact, he was adversarial. These demons were the adversary of Jesus Christ. Many may have passed by, but Jesus was confronted by him. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about our lives as a spiritual battleground. There's a warfare that goes on every day that we may not even see, for we wrestle not against flesh or blood, but against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And we must understand that we must have on the whole armor of God. In Matthew chapter 10, the disciples were empowered by Jesus to cast out unclean spirits. Why? Because they are detrimental and they are harmful to anything that wants to be godly and holy. I want you to think about this man today. The Bible says that he had made his dwelling, in verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs. There are some obvious things that I'd like to bring out to you that you've heard before, and you've heard me preach it before, and you've heard others preach it before, but as we think about this place, the very simple connection is it's a place of death. It's a place of death. You know, death, by its very simplest means, is separation. We know that when somebody dies, they are separated from us. Uh, We've experienced that. All of us had. 
And so there's a certain unknown about death. There's a certain fear that regards death. I'm, I'm going to say something, and I, I'm not trying to sound prideful or arrogant at all. I, I, I don't mean, but I really, in my heart, I don't have any fear of death. I have a fear of dying. Do you understand the difference? I, I don't like the idea of suffering in pain. I don't like, I've been in a lot of hospitals and sat by a lot of bedsides and the final hours of somebody and it's hard to watch and I can't imagine what they're going through and the, the hurt and the pain and the, and the sorrow and this. I, I don't like the idea of disease. It, it, it's a terrifying thought. But I also know people who have laid their head down at night and opened their eyes in the presence of Jesus. The Bible says, precious. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But even those who go on to glory in that fashion, they're separated from us for a time. Death separates. And this man, by taking his dwelling in the tomb, was separated from his family and from his friends. There was very little interaction, and those who did try to help him tried to put him in chains. I believe they likely meant well, or perhaps there were some that were just afraid of him and they were trying to protect themselves. But they, nonetheless, the, the, the only interaction he had was adversarial until he went on the aggressive. You know, maybe you can identify with this man today. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Praise God today that if you know Jesus Christ, you have life and life more abundantly. The Bible says that Jesus Christ died that we might have life evermore. We can have everlasting life. We can have eternal life. And on and on we could go with the adjectives today about this life that we have in Jesus Christ. It is a joyful life today, as it says in John chapter 17. And it is eternal life tomorrow if we will just simply put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But maybe today you're like the man dwelling among the tombstones. And without Jesus Christ, you too are separated. The Bible says we were all aliens and we were outside the commonwealth of Israel. We were outside the covenant of God. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, he can redeem you today and purchase your soul and bring you back into the family of God. Maybe you understand what it means to have death. Colossians chapter 2 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And that's what it takes to, to have life in Christ is to be forgiven. And the only one that can forgive you is the one who bore your sins on the cross of Calvary. Not only is it a place of death, it's a place of despair. Notice what it says in verse 5. And always, underline that word in your Bible, Always, night and day, always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying. What a horrible, horrible position. A place of despair, despondent, brokenhearted, all because of these familiar spirits, all because they were unclean. All because he did not have the Spirit of God. The Bible simply says this, He that hath the Son hath life. But he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
And this demon-possessed man, who we do not know his name, is the embodiment of that verse. He did not have the Son of God. And so he did not have life, and he dwelt among the tombs. And let me tell you, it's not just a life of death. It's a life of despair. The Bible says if we had hope only in this life, we'd be of all men most miserable. Can you imagine going through life and not knowing what is next? Not knowing what lies beyond the grave. Thinking that death is just the end. We live, we die. But there's nothing else. No hope. We too would be in despair. The Bible says night and day, all day and all night, he cried and he wept. It was a place of despair, but we see also in verse 5, it was a place of danger. It was a place of danger. I'm just outlining until I get to the thing that the God spoke to my heart in the night. The Bible says he was also cutting himself with stones. Satan is a murderer. Was from the beginning. The Bible says he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Make no doubt about it in your mind. If Satan could have killed this man, he would have. He filled him with thousands of demons. 2,000 swine were inhabited by those same spirits and cast themselves into the sea. We don't know how many there were, but enough to fill them. He caused this man to have utter despair and to dwell among the tombs separate from everybody and to be cutting himself, causing him pain and agony. How many times did this man sit among those tombs thinking, I can just end my life? But those demons just toying with him would not let him go. But here's what the Lord spoke to my heart about. And I'm sure you've heard this before. It was a place of death, a place of despair, a place of danger. It was also a place of derailment. Derailment. Where did this man's life go off the rails? Have you ever asked yourself, how did he ever get here in the first place? We often look at the Bible like it's a a snapshot. You You ever see snapshots from people? You know, I, I, in 2014, we got to go to Israel. I came home, and I, I mean, I'm showing people, this is, this, is, you know, this is Golgotha. This is the place of the skull. Show a picture of that. This, this, is, uh, this is the empty tomb, Gordon's tomb. This is the garden. Incredible. And you show all those pictures and the, and the beauty of Israel. And the, this is the Kidron Valley. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is, and, and I showed all those pictures. You know what nobody asked me? Nobody asked me, how did you get there? Did you take a boat? Did you fly? Did you hitchhike? No, nobody asked me that. Nobody, nobody was Because they were only concerned with what I showed them. And I think sometimes with the scripture, I'm like that too. I look at this passage and you go, well, this is an interesting story. Here's a man. But he was a man. He had lived some life. There had been a lot of water under the bridge. We don't know how much. We don't know how old. Was he, was he 18 and just entering into manhood? Was he 50 years old and had lived some life? Had he had a wife? Had he had some children? I don't know. But what I do know is that at some point in his life, his life went off the rails. 
I want to suggest to you today that he did not wake up in bed one morning. Let's just say it was a Sunday morning. He'd gone to synagogue on, on Saturday. He had worshipped on the Sabbath. He had spent some time with his family. He prayed together. They'd worshipped together. They sang God's praises together. And then he went to bed that night and woke up on Sunday morning filled with demons. I don't believe it happened that way. I believe that there was something that happened in his life that caused him to spiral out of control. And, and if I can point you to the scriptures and I say, how did he end up in this situation? You might say, well, it's, it's obvious, Pastor. The Bible says he had an unclean spirit. As a matter of fact, he had so many demons, they were called legion. Let me say this this morning. The Bible does not say the wages of demons is death. The Bible does not say that demons, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. This man's greatest problem was not his demons, it was his sin. He did not wake up one morning possessed. But one day, he began to dabble in sin. And eventually, it took his heart, and it took his mind, and his life was open to whatever Satan wanted. He had a new master, and Satan was glad to oblige. Turn, if you will, to James chapter 1. We're going to look there for a minute. James chapter 1. I've already prepared my message for the evening service, and it's from James chapter 1, and I'm kind of praying that I don't trample all over it here in a minute. James chapter 1, look if you will at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation... For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now listen. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. I want you to notice some things this morning. As we talk about this place of derailment, what got this young man off his tracks? What caused him to leave his upbringing and follow after a life of sin that would eventually lead to this man being possessed by these de demons. Number one, influence. Influence. The Bible says in verse 14, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, look at that next two words, and enticed. You say, well, I'm, I'm not enticed by anything. You're a liar. Our flesh craves things. I, I guarantee that if I, if, I, if I just told you right now, I'm going to preach another hour and a half 
Some of your reaction would be this. Yeah, but you don't understand. I get hungry right around noon. That's your flesh saying, I desire something. I crave something. I'm telling you, you know what the hardest thing to do every Sunday? We're here, you know, church gets out around noon. We greet people in the hallways. We, we, we have other things we have to do, other responsibilities. We'll get out of here maybe 12.30, 12.45, and I have to drive by KFC. And they are pumping that chicken out the vents. They do that on purpose. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. I'm like Bugs Bunny smelling the, falling the smell of a carrot, just floating. I just, that is incredible. The Superstore does the same thing. Have you ever driven by the Superstore? They, they can get it all the way to Highway 3. I don't know how they do it. And you can smell that chicken. That roast, oh man, that is my flesh being enticed. Not all temptation's wrong. Matter of fact, that's something God has put in my life so that I would eat and take care of myself, right? If, if I were to wave a box of chocolates up here today, half you ladies would tackle me on the platform. That's enticing. But here's the problem. Our flesh is also enticed by other things, sinful things. And there is temptation all around us. As a matter of fact, I want to identify three areas of temptation. What was it that caused this man to be railed? Number one, I believe there's public influence. There are some things that are just unavoidable influences. We see them all around us every day. As a matter of fact, we've become numb to a lot of them. We're just bombarded with it all. You say, well, I don't like the idea of, of, of seeing nakedness everywhere I go. Listen, we went to Africa and we saw uh, naked men walking down the streets, demoniacs. You, you could not turn away. You could not hide from it. It was just everywhere. Washing themselves in the sewers. It's like a, the embodiment of Mark chapter 5. The billboards we see, the advertising campaigns we see, it is everywhere. My wife said yesterday we went to a, a youth rally in Michigan. And uh, by the way, what, what a place. 1,200 teenagers under a tent. Incredible. It, it was a fantastic thing to see. And we were driving, and my wife said, they love their marijuana here just as much as we do in Canada, don't they? Every billboard was pot. Come to this cannabis store and come to here and come to there, you know, and all, the, all these advertisements. Incredible. We are enticed in our flesh. And there are some things that we cannot avoid. He said, what are we to do? Put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm going to read that whole passage in just a minute. I believe it'll be a help to us, but we must understand what he's talking about. There's a spiritual battle going on, and, and every day we are bombarded by the things we see and where our hearts take us. And so be careful of the public influence. Listen, Noah was surrounded by wickedness every single day of his life, and yet, by God's grace, he survived it. And you can too. But then there's also personal influences. These are the influences that we can avoid. Those things that we know we are weakest at. We had to put up some guards in our life. Put on the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. 
Make sure that we are guarding against those things. But then, friends, listen to this. And here's, here's something that we really need to think about. There are projected influences. Do you know who your kids are? You say, oh, my kids, they're, they're influenced so much by the public school. and they're influenced so, Do you know who your kids are most influenced by? You. That's the truth. I have seen some kids go to public school and turn out horrible. And then I've seen some kids go to public school and come out as adults walking with the Lord. You say, what is the difference? The home. You project influence on your kids. The things that we are permissive about now, often our kids embrace. So we have to be careful. I wonder in this this man's life, this man in this story that we read about, how did he go off to the rails? Was it something just in the public that enticed him and he went out? Maybe he could never walk by a beer house. Maybe uh, there, was, there was things in his life that, that, that were enticing to him and he, he embraced them over and over until finally God had his mind. Maybe it was the projection of others. Maybe he had a drunk for a father. I don't know. I, I can't read into the scripture and assume But something influenced him, and he was enticed by it. The Bible says in James chapter 1, and we'll talk about it more tonight, that there are different types of temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into... That doesn't sound like something we want to do. I'm I'm excited, I'm joyful, because I fell into divers' temptations. Temptation is not the problem. It's when we allow our flesh to be enticed and we're drawn away. And when it conceives in our heart, that's when it bringeth forth sin. And sin bringeth forth death. So number one, how was this young man derailed? And I I say this without knowing him personally or seeing his life, but I believe it's true about everybody. He was derailed because of the influence in his life. Accepting it. Embracing it. Number two, He was derailed by his choices. I can't tell you how many times we tell young people, your choices, your choices, your choices, your choices. Choose right. Make good friends. Don't hang around with those kids. They say, well, that doesn't sound very kind. Listen, if they have a weakness in their flesh, they're better off fleeing from that kind of nonsense. Being careful. Guarding their hearts and their lives. So the choices we make, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You awake this morning? Man, all right. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Wherefore? Let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from adultery. God says with every temptation, you have a choice. 
God has made a way to escape. Be sure of this one thing. Every single time we sin, we chose wrong. We chose to entice the flesh. We chose to allow the thing that we have been fighting against to get into our life and influence us and exhort upon us. and We've given in. We've made a choice. When we feed our hearts and our minds with the word of God and we understand who Christ is and how desperately we want to please him, it is easier to choose him. It's easier to say, God, where is my way of escape? What way do I turn? How do I find relief? How can I flee from this sin? But we must make the right choices. And then the third thing I believe happened to this man, not only was he influenced, not only did he make bad choices, I believe he was defenseless. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I quoted a little bit of it earlier, but let's read it today. Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible talks about the devil having fiery darts. I think that means we better always have our armor on. We should always carry our shield of faith. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What do you think of when you think of wiles? Clever. Crafty. Using trickery or deceit. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to say, how many of you think we're in the evil day? Let me tell you, we've been in the evil day for 6,000 years now. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, evil men shall wax worse and worse. It's only been going downhill. And he says, you want to be able to stand, so put on the whole armor of God. Stand therefore, verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth, the word of God, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I believe this man found himself in the condition he was in because he had Uh, allowed influences in his life to take over because he had made the wrong choices and didn't take the way of escape that God provides. And finally, because he was defenseless, he did not have on the armor of God. But I have good news for this man. Not only was it a place of death, a place of despair, a place of danger, and a place of derailment, it was a place of deliverance. You say, "Wait, wait a minute, a graveyard is a place of deliverance. By the way, even the graveyards around here one day will burst open wide and those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior will come forth out of the graves and the last thing to be defeated will be death. Praise God. But here in this graveyard, 
where this man had made his dwelling among the tombs. The Bible says he ran into a man named Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ had called those demons out and they adjured thee by the most high God that they would not torment him. He said, what is thy name? And they said, our name is Legion for we are many. They said, instead of casting us into the abyss, send us into those swine. And Jesus said, go. And he saved that man's life. Look, if you will, down in verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And my flesh likes that next four words, and they were afraid. They were afraid. Isn't it something that they were afraid now after the man's in his right mind? Before he's wailing and he's... There, there's, there's something about wails coming from a cemetery, isn't there? So it's a little different than just somebody crying out somewhere else. I, I remember years ago, I grew up beside a cemetery. We shared a fence. Our, we had the quietest neighbors in the county. And it was the, the, uh, Lynn, or the Don's Hollow Cemetery, United Empire Loyalists. Nobody had been buried there. I don't remember anybody ever being buried there in my whole life. So I think it closed about 1920. And I, I remember one night, I, I don't know if it was Halloween or what it was. I, I don't remember. But there was three girls that pulled up in front of that cemetery, and they were daring each other. I mean, this cemetery is so old, it has a witch's gate. You know what that is? It's one of those turnabouts because apparently witches cannot, they have to have square corners apparently, so I don't know, whatever. Superstition, right? It has this old-fashioned witch's gate, and they were daring each other to go in there. My dad heard, and he went back through the back, and he climbed the fence, and he laid down behind those tombstones. And just as they got up there, he let out a hellish scream. And I mean, they didn't need the gate on the way out. They just went right over that fence, in the car, and gone. There is something about a cemetery, I think because of the, the death and the despair. As a child of God, there's nothing that can hurt us. Hey, bet. But this man was wailing, and, and now they're afraid of him? He's sitting in his right mind. He's just sitting there talking with Jesus and smiling and happy. And, and, and No, no, they weren't afraid of him. They were afraid of Jesus. There was nothing to be afraid of with that man anymore. But they recognized and had fear for the very power of God over these demons called legion. What a turnaround. I want to tell you today that no matter where you are, Jesus can deliver you. You know, many things about the spiritual life are binary. Either heaven or hell. Death or life. You're saved or you're lost. Two choices. This man had taken all kinds of steps to get himself into this mess, but only Jesus could set him free fully and finally. There are a lot of things out there that will help people today. But nobody can help the spiritual life but Jesus. Only Jesus can change you. 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, listen to this, who hath abolished death and hath brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. The Apostle John writes, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This man among the tombs knew exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 5. He'd gone from death to life. Listen, there are so many out there today that are trying to preserve life. We live longer today than we've ever lived before. They can do all kinds of medical marvels. But once somebody is dead, they cannot bring them back. Once the breath has left the body and the electrical activity of the heart has ceased, there's nothing left to do. But Jesus can take you from death unto life. That's the real power. And that's why they feared. Not because of a man set free, but because of the man who did the freeing. Do you know Jesus today? Let me give you this as a a note of caution. I don't believe for a moment that I could ever be possessed by a devil because the Spirit of God dwelleth within me. I have been sealed unto the day of redemption. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. But I know this. Our hearts can be captivated by sin so quickly. And our Christian walk can be derailed in a moment. If we are not guarding against the things of this world. So how do you know? It's happened. I've sinned. And it doesn't take long, but but a moment. Let us put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand and withstand in the evil day. Let's pray. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts. Lord, maybe there's some here today struggling. Maybe they're not filled with demons like this man, but they understand this idea of being separated. They feel different. They'd rather dwell among the tombstones. Maybe there's some suffering from despair today. Some that are just hurting, crying out. Some that are even in danger because of sin. Oh God, I pray that they'd be able to go back and find that place where their life went off the rails and meet Jesus there and learn that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And find in him a deliverer that can take us from death unto life. Oh God, speak to our hearts, we pray. Maybe there's one here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. And that today might be the day of salvation. Speak to them and move upon them, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a moment as God... Speaks to your heart, this altar is open. Would you step out and come? Maybe there's one here today, say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know where I'll spend eternity. Religion will give you hundreds of choices, but there's only two. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's the truth. Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. 
that because your penalty is paid by him, if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can be eternally saved today. Can we help you? Is there one that said, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me?